Okay. Well, uh, man, I, I'm so excited about today because what we're going to be leaning into is what does it mean for you to matter here? And I think if there's a theme that hopefully you feel if you call Antioch home or if this is a place that you continue to attend, you will feel that our heart very simply is that we want you to grow in your relationship with Jesus, that we want you to take steps forward in your life in him because we know that when we move forward in God, every other area of our life will be impacted. Are you with me? And so what we have done is we've said, look, we don't want to just leave that up to intuition, like figure out how to grow. There are a million things that you can do that are going to help you fast forward your life in God. But what we've tried to do is simplify it. We have these things, a rhythm, we like to call it a rhythm for life, that if you do these things, you will grow. We call them the steps, all right? The steps are we want you to encounter God. We want you to belong here, to find a family here. Don't just show up on a Sunday, but belong. We want you to matter. We want you to be a part of seeing this become all that God has called this church to be. We want you to grow. We want you to get healed up, and we want you to move forward. We like to say we want you to grow in three ways, up, out, and down, all right? Now, I'm 40 years old. I got gray in my beard. I'm spending most of my time growing out these days, okay? But I've started jogging, so hopefully I'll start to grow in. But we want you to grow up. We want you to have an encounter with Jesus on a daily basis, have some spiritual disciplines in your life that is going to actually settle down that emotional roller coaster that most of us live on, and you begin to live a rooted biblical life, unshaken by what is shaking culture so that we can be the church that is a beacon of hope in the midst of the chaos. We want you to grow out. We want you to get to know people and we want you to grow down. We want you to mature and, and become more consistent in who you are and what your relationship with God looks like. And so the steps help us do those things. I've seen it. I've experienced it. If we are running the steps in our lives, we will grow. It is impossible for this rhythm to not be alive in us and to significantly affect us. And so today, what we really want to do is say, hey, look, Connection Sunday is not a day where we're asking for your help. Can I just go ahead and say that? Like, we're good. We got an abundance mindset here. You know what that means is we believe that God's got us. All right? Like, we're not here asking for your help. We're here giving you an invitation into more. That's what this is. This is not, this whole day is not about like, oh, man, they're looking for me to help out in kids. No. We're giving you an invitation into more of what God has for you. And what I hope we're going to find today together in Scripture is that it's not just an invitation into more. It's actually an invitation into freedom. It's an invitation into freedom. You know, when I was in eighth grade, uh, I got invited to go swimming at my friend's house. And truthfully, you know, you kind of have like different layers of friendships, you know, specifically in middle school. You know, it was like, and so I wasn't really at a let's go swimming together level with this dude, but he had older sisters and I definitely wanted to hang out with them. Can, can we just be honest at church? And so I went to, I was, he said, you want to come to my house and swim? I'm like, are your sisters going to be there? He's like, yeah. I was like, yes. 
So now there's a few of us who were there. Now you got to imagine a, a, a couple eighth grade boys and a couple of high school, very attractive girls are hanging out in the backyard. There is going to be a, um, how would you say, a need to impress that is going to emerge within the, the homies, okay? So we found an extension ladder in the garage and we said, yo, let's jump off the roof into the pool, you know? And so we, we, we put this ladder up and we're, you know, we're doing everything you do when you're crazy, you know, before you think you're going to die. And, and so, and, and we're impressing the girls. It's working, which is only fueling the fire, okay? So I'm thinking like, all right, look, now that jumping off the roof is not enough. It's not impressive anymore. We've got to take it to the next level. And so I got that little rope, you know, the little rope on the extension ladder? And I just start wheeling that sucker up just all the way until it clicked. You know, click. It, is there. it doesn't go up any higher. And so I said to my friends, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to climb all the way to the top of the ladder. And at this point, I mean, it's a good probably 15 feet above the roof line. I'm going to climb all the way to the top. They're like, oh, do it, dude. You know, I'm like looking at the girls. and like, yeah, we'll climb up the ladder, you know. And so I climb up, I pass the roof line, I keep climbing, I keep climbing, I keep climbing. I get almost to the very, very top. I'm looking over the roof now. And my friend decides that he wants to do it too. And so he gets on the ladder and he starts climbing up. So all of a sudden, our extension ladder turns into a seesaw. And so it swings this way and starts rocketing down. And I'm like, you know, I don't have any time to respond. I mean, look at me, dude. I'm not athletic. I, I don't have cat-like reflexes, you know what I'm saying? And so I, I probably should have just jumped off onto the roof. But instead of doing that, I just like rode it down thinking, I'm, this is just going to slide me down to safety. And so I'm just like hanging on, sliding. It's so, you know, it starts slow and it's speeding up. And then all of a sudden it's flying. Well, I forgot to realize that my feet are going to hit the roof, but the ladder is going to keep going down. And so my foot gets wedged between the roof and the rung of the ladder with my friend, all of his weight. And it literally, like, it's, it's like a water balloon, you know, just crushes my foot. Welcome to my youth, okay? Like, I got more stories like this than I could even tell. You know, I mean, it's unfortunate but true. So now I have a completely shattered foot. I'm up on a roof, and I'm unimpressive. I'm, you probably would have thought I was crying, but I really wasn't crying. It might have looked like I was crying, but it was just allergies, but... Fast forward, I get off the roof, I'm in the hospital, and I didn't tell my parents what really had happened until the doctor is asking me clarifying questions like, wait, excuse me, like, what did you do? So my parents are getting more information as I'm explaining to the doctor, oh, actually, yeah, we were jumping off of the roof. My mom was like, you were doing what? I was like, yeah, and then I decided I would climb up to the top, and my dad's like, you're an idiot. You're like, your mom is compassionate, and my dad's like, you, you deserve this. Like, this, this, don't even fix it. Like, let him just have to crawl. 
But isn't it crazy how I couldn't see what was underneath me, but it had a significant impact on me? Now, I couldn't see what was happening at the bottom of the ladder, but the impact of what was happening in the unseen had a profound impact on my pride and on my foot. (laughs) Hear me. God is doing more than you can see. There is more happening. The impact of what is happening in and through your life is greater than what you can physically and visibly experience when you're in the middle of it. God is doing things that have an impact that are greater than your wildest dreams. Can I preach to you this morning? If you have a Bible, I want you to go to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. By the way, you guys like the beard? You like the gray? It makes me, now you want to listen to me now, huh? I looked so young before, but now you're like, ah, this dude has got some wisdom. Mark 12, verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw large amounts, but a poor woman came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All she had to live on. Now, right before this moment in verse 41, Jesus had been spending his day, the entire day, in the temple debating the religious leaders and future leaders of his day. He had been teaching and answering questions, and the entire tone of that day is a lineage of people trying to trap Jesus into saying something that would be contrary to the law to give them an excuse to tell those who were following him that he was a heretic. So he had been surrounded by those who had a lot to give, who would have been the future leaders and current leaders of his day. And he was tired at the end of that. How many of you know that when you talk and people are trying to trap you, you're going to get tired? And so Jesus, after spending this day engaging with these religious leaders, he goes and he finds a place to sit down. And it happens to be right across from where people give their offerings. And he's just kind of people watching. He's just watching people come in and give what they have and doing whatever that they did when they gave. And Jesus, remember, had been spending the entire day teaching about what heaven looked like. He had been describing to everyone who was listening, including his disciples, what the kingdom of heaven on earth actually looked 
like, and it was this woman, this poor widow that came and gave a couple of pennies that stopped Jesus in his tracks. And it was that moment that Jesus decided to pull his disciples around him and say, boys, this is it. Think about that. He had been spending the entire day trying to paint a picture of what this woman came and did. And so this woman, who probably came in quietly and embarrassed at how little she had, put her four cents into the treasury, and Jesus says, come here, all of my disciples, come around here. Come, come around here. Look, I've, I've seen people give all kinds of stuff. But she gave everything. You know what he actually said? She gave more than the rest. Here's what Jesus was teaching his disciples and teaching us. In the kingdom, it's not how much you give, but it's how you give what you give that matters. Can I say that again? That's a write it down. That's an amen moment, Amir. In the kingdom, it's not how much you give, but it's how you give what you give that matters. This woman's gift was laughably insignificant. We walk by pennies on the road and don't even want to pick them up because what is a penny going to do? The insignificance of what she actually gave could not be overstated. It, it, it did not push their building campaign over the edge. They weren't saying, man, if we just had four more pennies, man. No, it was laughably insignificant. It, it, it shouldn't have mattered. But it's not how much you give. It's how you give what you give. I want to lean into this for a minute because I think most of us are unified around a similar struggle. And that is this. We struggle to feel significant. This is an almost everybody, and if you say it's not me, I'm gonna go ahead and probably call you a liar. Because we are all unified around this desire in us to feel like we fit and that it matters that we're there. Psychologists would say that this driving motivation in us to feel significant is a main driver in our decision-making. I completely agree with this because where I shop, the restaurants I go to, and the things that I do revolve around me feeling like I fit in those places. Are you with me? Have you ever been to a place and you felt like you didn't fit and you're like, I'm out of here? Right? Like the first time I went to a country club. I didn't grow up in no, I didn't have no money growing up. My, I had some rich friends. I went to a country club. I'm like, I don't fit here. 
I don't know what to do. I don't know who to say hi to and who to ignore. You know, I didn't know how to be pretentious. I had to learn that. Right? And, and, and look, my son loves like super high fashion. And so he's always like, Dad, can we go to Louis Vuitton? I'm like, no. Because when I go in there, they're going to take one look at me and say, that dude's not going to buy nothing. And, and, and I'm not going to feel like I fit. And I, I don't want to feel that way. It's not that I don't want to go into the store. I don't want to encounter, are you hearing me? I don't want to encounter the familiar emotion of insignificance. That I don't fit, that I don't belong here. And then you, you throw on the layer of self-hatred that is running rampant in our culture right now where we feel like we shouldn't be significant because of what we've done and who we are. And so even if you are in a position or you have an opportunity where the world will look at you and say, you are significant, the story we begin to tell ourselves then is if they only really knew me, they would know that I shouldn't be significant. There's a unifying lie that the enemy, the accuser of the brethren, the devil, is feeding our culture and that lie is a lie that is created to isolate us. When you feel insignificant, you don't lean into relationships, you pull away. That's what happens. You start feeling insignificant and insecure, you don't lean into your friendships. Oftentimes, you begin to live in your relationships like this because you're like, man, I don't want any more pain. I can't even handle this. And so what we end up doing is isolating ourselves further, increasing the pattern of feeling what? Insignificant. And I, I love reading, you guys know this, and so I was reading about this. I was reading probably too many articles about it. I kind of get in these like thermals where it's just like, what have you done? I've been reading medical journals on the psychology of acceptance. Liz is like, cool, what an exciting day. <laughs> Here's what's crazy. Do you know the remedy that they would tell you for feeling insignificant is finding a purpose. Oh, I love when science begins to tell me the Bible. That the, 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 the best medicine, the opposition to this feeling of insignificance is diving into something and having purpose and having mission because those two things fight against the lie that you're insignificant, insignificant because mission helps you see that you are significant. And so when insignificance makes us want to push away, 
the invitation to freedom, the, invita- the weapon, can we use the weapon term? I like fighting words. The weapon against our insignificance is living with a purpose. It's mattering where you are. It's not observing, but contributing. And that is going to not just help you, that is going to destroy the lie of insignificance in you. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says this, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That is a powerful scripture that we demolish. Look, I'm just wondering, is anybody ready to start fighting back in your mind? If you're not, cool, just listen to the rest of this message. But if you're tired of being pushed around by things that are not true, and you want to start demolishing some arguments and things that have been set up against you to isolate you, to make you feel insignificant and insecure, and you want to start replacing those things with the truth of who God is and who he's called you to be, say amen. Because we demolish every argument, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient To Christ. So you're feeling insignificant. And the medicine for insignificance, the weapon against insignificance, is throwing yourself into something so that you have to believe that you are significant. Then what you do is you take that insignificant thought captive. Pastor, what does that look like? It looks like this. Look, I've said this before. I didn't, I, you know, I didn't grow up really learning how to pray. But I did grow up in the hood, and so I learned how to talk trash. And that's oftentimes how I handle spiritual warfare. Taking that thought captive, I'm feeling insignificant. It doesn't matter that I'm here. I'm going to come in quietly late and I'm going to leave quietly early. It doesn't matter that I'm here. That is driving you further away when the medicine, the solution is actually leaning closer in. How we deal with that is we say, you know what? I'm no longer going to sit passively and allow this insignificance to steal from me. That's what that is. I'm going to take it captive. I'm going to do the very opposite thing that this is calling me to do. I'm not going to push away. I'm going to lean in. And as we do that, there is a demolishment. There's a destruction of the lies of the enemy. Romans 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. I love this passage, and oftentimes I would read it through the lens of worship. Like, I, I want my, you know, I wanna, you know, worship, like ev- with everything. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, that I wanna be a, you know, you know what I'm saying? With, ev- you know, with everything, I wanna use it all. Right, but I started, I was like, actually, what this is saying is that like my whole being, my whole being is worship. That's not just like, oh, 
oh yeah, I'm a living sacrifice. It's like, no, that everything that you do is worship. That when, 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 it, when you sacrificially love your neighbor as yourself, that's worship. All right, it's worship when you host a life group. It's worship when you serve in youth. It's worship. We want to be living. We want our lives to be for those around us. We want to be a living sacrifice. And that is holy and pleasing to God. Now listen to this. This is a good verse. This is verse 2. This is a good one. Don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. Be transformed. Be made completely different. Totally new. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Man, I tell you what, man, there's nothing better than a new mind. By the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Oh, man, if I had a dollar for every time I heard somebody say, oh, pastor, I don't know what God's will for my life is. Were you doing verse 1 and 2? Verse 1 and 2 leads to the answer to that question. Are you offering yourself as a living sacrifice? And then are you saying, God, come and transform me and living with a new, renewed mind by the power of the Holy Spirit through the cleansing of the word? And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. And then verse three starts giving us some context for how verse 1 and 2 actually live through us. It says, for by grace given me, I say to everyone of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with a sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we thought many form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. And if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then Teach. If it's encouraging, then encourage. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it di diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Remember, it's not, it's not how much we give. It's not, it's not even what we give. It's how we give what we give that matters. What Paul is telling us here is giving us context. What does it look like for us to be a living sacrifice that lives renewed and transformed and is made completely whole and new? As he says, look, you were made on purpose for a purpose. 
and that the church is not fully who it is called to be without you in humility bringing what you have. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is crazy. That his description of how we operate is how our bodies operate. That we are so interconnected that our systems just work together in such a smooth and fluid way that we are not even fully aware of all that we're doing because our brains are just actively working. And Paul says, look, what the church is, is a bunch of people coming together and honoring what they bring. And when we all bring what we have, we'll have everything we need. When we all bring what we have, We'll have everything that we need. Remember the widow, the poor widow. She gave more than anyone else. And before she had showed up, there were some rich people that dropped some gold up in there. It says they gave large amounts. And Jesus says, actually, she gave more than them. What was the difference? The difference was how she gave what she gave. So when we're talking about serving, we're talking about, yeah, we want you to matter here. Why? Because we want your mind to get renewed. We want you to step into the will of God for your life. We want you to grow and move forward in who he has called you to be. And that's not going to happen if you are isolating and listening to the lies of insignificant insignificance. You have to lean in and say, God made me on purpose for a purpose. And in humility, I'm going to give what I have. And you might think like, oh, man, it's small. Who cares? Because you giving your little might be the exact thing that we need. It's like, oh, man, I don't, man, what I'm good at and nobody, you know, I'm, I, all I do is make cotton candy, man. I don't know. That matters. You know, like on Carnival Day, we're going to need you. Say, nobody else want to mess with that thing, man. It's messy. That'll ruin a good shirt running the cotton candy machine. It doesn't matter what it is. It's how you give it. Let me tell you, it, the, the reverse is true too. You can have all of the gifts in the world and you give it the wrong way and it's destructive and not constructive. You, you could be the richest person in here. You want to manipulate the will of God to your way because you feel like you're funding it. God don't want your cash, and neither do I. Don't forget verse 3. The setup between verse 1 and 2 and verse 4 is this radical declaration. Don't think highly of yourself. Think of yourself in sober Minded. Because look, every victory has a built-in attack. Once the devil understands that you're no longer going to believe the lie of insignificance, then you begin to believe the lie that you're overly significant. 
The invitation for us is to give what we have in humility, with grace, for the sake of God demonstrating his glory on the earth, in us and through us. So yeah, man, we want you to serve in kids. We want you to lead a life group. We want you to be on our worship team. We want you to be on our AV team. We want you to be on our connect team. We want you to be on our hospitality team. We want you to be on our creative team. Why? Because the invitation is that we can become all that God's called us to be when we all give what we have. We don't need it. We want it. We want it. We want to be the full picture of who God has called us to be in the earth. Amen? You know, just a few months ago, I'll close with this story. We had a young lady who was going through a really, really hard time in in life. She drove past and saw our church. So she went online and looked at us and she was like, I'm going to go check that out. So she shows up. It's just a couple months ago. She shows up at church and How many of you are thankful for Megan Brown? And if if you don't know who Megan is, she's like pastor of connections here and just freaking cool. She's a cool chick. And uh, Megan immediately connects with her and they're, they're just talking. Church hasn't even started yet. And then another lady from our church comes up and sees them talking and, and, comes over and then Megan introduces them. And so then she keeps talking to her and says, hey, why don't you come and sit with me? So they came in, they came into church, you know, and, and God will do what God does, amen? And God met her in a powerful way. And, and she came out of the church service and she was like, I didn't know this is what I needed, but this is it, this is, I'm in. I'm giving everything I have to this. And so Megan and another lady, Melissa, just began to invest in her and spend time with her and talk to her and stuff like that. And now this young lady is going to be doing our discipleship school. Hold up. Listen, listen. A hello. A hello. A hey, you want to come sit with me? Impact. Way greater than what either of those women thought was going to happen. Because you don't know what God's doing behind you. You, you, don't, you have no idea what God's doing behind you. And so that hello, you being on the Connect team, is not just to wave a banner and try to keep up with my son Tate in the parking lot. It is so that people experience heaven when they drive up in here. And that hello is going to lead to something that's greater then you can even ask, hope, or imagine. Why? Because God is always doing more than what we can see. He's always moving in in a greater way than what we can even imagine. So I I want you to do this. I want you to stand to your feet. And as you do, I want you to grab that card in your hand that was on one of the chairs that was around you. And on the back of it, it has some 
some options of places where you can contribute. And I know that a lot of you are already serving. You're already giving so much. You're already doing all that stuff. You're like, dude, I'm totally mattering here, man. Praise God for you. But I also know that there's a lot of people that haven't found their place yet. They're newer. You haven't found the place where you're like, man, this is where I matter in this house. For our response, what we're gonna do is the band's gonna play, I'm gonna pray. And and what I want you to do is to to fill out that card, like, man, I'm gonna, this is gonna be my place. This isn't you signing up for the next five years of serving in kids ministry. This is the beginning of the conversation, okay? So take a deep breath, all right? I'm not trying to hoodwink you, all right? But I do wanna give you that invitation that you can join in with what God's doing because there's an impact that is greater that God has for us that is even wilder than our wildest dreams, amen? So I'm gonna pray and then we're all gonna respond. Jesus, we are asking that right now that you would open up our hearts and our minds that we would be a people that give of what we have. We know, God, that it's not how much we give, but it's how we give what we give that really matters and puts the power on our lives. And so I'm asking Jesus that you would show us where we need to matter in this house so that there can be some breakthrough, there could be some lies that are silenced, there could be some insignificance that is shattered and demolished, some insecurities that are blown up by the truth of the word of God and the power of belonging to community. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.